open your Bibles to Psalm 23. So far in the shepherd's psalm, we've seen how the Lord supplies our needs, haven't we? That His provision is more than sufficient for us. He gives, he gives us green grass. He gives us quiet waters to refresh our weary souls. Our shepherd is so very good. And we are pretty good at being sheep, aren't we? I mean, we can really be like sheep. Sometimes we can uh, be dissatisfied with our good shepherd's provision. We think that somehow there's greener grass out there. There's fresher water out there. And so we wander off and we need to be restored. Sometimes we refuse to move along when God does want to move us. And we become cast down and stuck on our backs too content for our own good, and we need our good shepherd to come and to put us back up on our feet and to get us moving for our own good. Our good shepherd refreshes our weary souls. He restores our wandering souls. And and so far as we've looked at all of this, you know, being a sheep in his flock is pretty good, isn't it? It's a good life. Everything seems to be great. All of our needs are met. Even when we wander off and stray, He brings us back in. But we know that life can also be difficult. It can also be demanding. It can also disappoint us. As David Roper in his book on the 23rd Psalm writes, I used to think that life was mostly green pasture with an occasional dark valley along the way. But now I realize it's the other way around. There are days of surprising joy, but much of life is a veil of tears. Maybe you feel that way. And I think when we're younger, we think that life is mainly green pastures with a few valleys. But the older we get, the more we discover those valleys are far more frequent. You know, I mean, if our shepherd is supposed to lead us down the right paths for his name's sake, and, and, and we come into these valleys, we think, something must be wrong. You know, and, and maybe you feel like that your path has taken you away from the right path. Maybe you feel like your path is, is leading you down the wrong road, and you're, you're thinking, Lord, if you're leading me down the right path, maybe I've made a, a missed, maybe I've missed a turn somewhere. Maybe I've made a mistake because the path I'm on seems to be a dead-end road on the wrong side of town. I mean, if our shepherd is good, If he's supposed to supply all of our needs with quiet waters and green grass, then why am I facing this dreadful disease? That's what you're wondering. Why am I living paycheck to paycheck? Why is it that my children seem to be struggling with depression or drugs or wandering from their faith? And if all that's true, what happened to the nice house and the, and the, the, the retirement and the comfortable living that I thought I was supposed to have. You see, David gives us a balanced view of life. He doesn't linger long in those green pastures and beside those quiet waters. He moves us pretty quickly into the dark valleys of life. When I was in Israel, one of the things I picked up on was how varied the landscape was in Israel. I mean, you go from coastal plain on the west to river plain on the east, both very lush and green and fertile. And you go from the the arid, hot south all the way to the very lush and pleasant land of Galilee. And running up the middle of all of that is this mountainous region. 
that runs really from southern Judah all the way up through Galilee to Mount Hermon in the far north. And the shepherds in Jesus' day, and by the way, this is taken uh, outside of Jericho. So that's what it looks like heading from Jerusalem down into Jericho. And shepherds had to contend with this changing geography and with the changing weather and patterns as the, as the wet season of winter gives way to the dry season of summer. They would have to lead their flocks up the hills, through the mountains. And going through the valleys in those mountains was often dangerous, but it was necessary. You know, that's the same for us. We also have to travel through some dark and dangerous valleys of life. And it's not just when we die. You know, we, we tend to look at Psalm 23 around funerals mainly because of verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's why we tend to use that psalm at funerals. But that valley is more than just when we face death. It's when we face divorce, depression, disease. It's when we're struggling with addictions and financial issues. When we have times of doubt, seasons of transition, times of struggle, all of those can be dark valleys in our lives. And Jesus never promised us the absence of storms. He never promised us the absence of valleys. Rather, He tells us very honestly in John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus doesn't tell us this to discourage us. In fact, he tells us in the first part of that verse, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. He warns us about the valleys so we can have peace as we walk through them. And we can have that peace because Jesus goes with us through those valleys. The Bible never tells us that we can avoid the dark valleys, but it does tell us what we want, what, what, that, we, that going through those valleys we can experience peace because our shepherd is with us. Now, we don't want to go through those dark valleys, do we? Nobody wants to go through the dark valleys. We avoid them at all costs. But God can bring blessings for us and through us to the lives of others in those valleys. Those valleys may just be the way that God draws us closer to Himself and makes us more like Jesus. It may be through those valleys, ironically, that He refreshes our souls and the souls of our family and our friends and our co-workers and neighbors. It may be through those valleys that He actually supplies our needs. So I want us to dive into this power-packed verse and unpack its truths for us today. Because if ever there's a year that's a dark valley, it's 2020. Amen? I mean, it is a dark valley in so many ways. And I know that there are many in our church family, in our community, within the past year alone, that have gone through so many dark, difficult, and depressing valleys. And so let's turn to Psalm 23 for some hope. And I just want to read verses 1 through 4 today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There are some very hopeful truths in this verse that I want to look at. And the first one is this, that dark valleys are part of the journey. They're part of the journey. Like I said, none of us want them. Nobody's going looking for a dark valley in their life. At best, they feel like a detour. At worst, it feels like God's taking us on a wrong turn. 
And they may cause us to question God's goodness or His wisdom. And so we would just rather avoid them at all costs, wouldn't we? Let's just steer clear of all of these valleys, but we can't. We can't avoid the valleys. In fact, we need the valleys. Again, during the summer in ancient Israel, the shepherds would move their flocks up north through the mountains to the higher elevation where the grass was more lush, where the water was better in the summertime. And we can find examples of this in the Bible. For example, remember when Joseph goes looking for his brothers in Genesis 37, they have moved Jacob's flocks from down at Hebron, which is where they lived, that's down in the south, kind of up through the middle mountain country to Shechem. That's where Joseph thinks they are when he goes looking for them, but he finds out, no, they've gone even further north, even higher up into the highlands to the city of Dothan. That higher elevation, those pastures in the north in the summer were so much better. They were cooler. They were lusher. That's where you wanted to graze your sheep in the summer. And so as the shepherds would be plotting this and planning this this long drive, taking the sheep up north, they were always looking for three things going up through those mountains. They were looking for the best path, the cleanest water, and the luscious forage for their sheep. And do you know where all three of those were almost certainly to be found? In the valleys. In the valleys that led through those mountains, those passes through those mountainous regions. So valleys, first of all, provide the best path forward. That's why we need the valleys. They give us the best path upward. You know, we we love to talk about having mountaintop experiences, don't we? You know, maybe you've got some spiritual highs that you've experienced, a mission trip, a youth camp, a revival, uh, those, those spiritual high mountain t- moments. We love those things. But how do we get there? How do you get up to those spiritual heights? You have to go through a valley. Because what does every mountain have in common? They all have valleys. You know, I, I like to go hiking. Ben mentioned hiking up in the Smokies. And when you're hiking up the mountains, you don't just take the shortest route to the top. Because the shortest route to the top is often what? The steepest. You, know, you can just find a straight up just mountain climb, I guess, just rock climb. That's not for me. You're not going to catch me climbing the face of a cliff, all right? I make that promise to you today. No, you almost always start kind of far from the, from the top of the mountain. You start where there's a river, a mountain stream. Most of the hikes that I go on, you start kind of going alongside a mountain stream for a while. And and you follow that stream up the side of the mountain, up that valley as far as you can, and then you start doing these switchbacks. Have you ever been hiking? You have these switchbacks. And they might take a lot longer, but going through that fold of the mountain where that valley cuts into the mountain is the safest and really the easiest way to get to the top. And we think about gaps like Newfound Gap where you cross over from North Carolina to Tennessee. Go Vols. You go over the gap right there and... uh, that's, you know, where the Native Americans, where the early explorers, where tourists today cross the mountain. That's where two valleys have come up. And that provides the shortest, easiest, safest, gentlest slope up over that mountain. But the valley that David mentions is a specific valley. It's not just any mountain valley. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Now, the Hebrew phrase here literally means a valley of deep darkness. It's not actually the Hebrew word for death. That's used there. It's a valley of deep darkness. That sounds pretty dreary, doesn't it? I mean, just that phrase is enough to strike anxiety in most of our hearts. And this word is used throughout the Bible to describe 
deep darkness. It's used to describe places of loneliness. Even the realm of the dead is described with this same Hebrew phrase. Jeremiah uses it most similarly to Psalm 23, 4, as he describes the wilderness through which God led the children of Israel to the promised land. Jeremiah 2, 6 says, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought, and here's the word, utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. That's a pretty good description of what some of these dark valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, can feel like to us. And sadly, we often don't read devotionals or hear messages that tell us that, you know, sometimes God's love is going to lead us down difficult roads where earthly comforts are going to fail us. Some people even avoid that to the extreme. They preach a prosperity gospel that tells us that, you know, if you're living right, you're never going to suffer. If you have enough faith, only good things are going to come to you. Name it and claim it. Sadly, that kind of bad theology often ends with disillusioned Christians. They face the dark valleys of life and they're not prepared for it. What if we did a better job of dealing with the complexities of life? Of preaching and teaching about the reality of evil and suffering in this world and that, yes, even Christians face dark valleys. Yes, bad things do happen to good people. What if we were as honest as Job or Jeremiah or even Jesus about the troubles and the persecutions that even the children of God face in this world. Theologian F.B. Meyer wrote, If we've been told that we're supposed to be on a bumpy track, then every jolt along the way simply confirms that we're still on the right road. You may think, my life is, is rough and it's rocky and I keep hitting all these potholes. Maybe just maybe that means you're on the right path. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the way to the kingdom of God isn't the flat, broad, eight-lane superhighway that just kind of blasts its way through the mountains. No, Jesus said the way to the kingdom of God is through a small gate and a narrow path. It's those little roads that wind up the mountain that the motorcyclists love to ride on. That's the path to the kingdom of God. And even that path to the ultimate mountaintop experience, to the highest of all spiritual highs, the gates of heaven itself, even that can only be accessed through the valley of the shadow of death. So when we face trials and letdowns and disappointments, when we are contending with our own failures and setbacks in life, when we're facing disease or divorce or death, what if we looked at them not as calamities that have befallen us, but as the pathway to growing closer to God and reaching new spiritual heights? As the hymn goes, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. May our attitude be that of Philip Keller who wrote, Oh God, this seems terribly rough, but I know for a fact that in the end it will prove to be the easiest and gentlest way to get me on the higher ground. Valleys. They give us the best path upward. But secondly, valleys provide fresh water and lush forage. Because what makes a valley? What makes a valley? Water, right? Water makes a valley. Every valley's got a creek or a stream, or at least it used to. So valleys have water. They have lush growth. 
they often shade us from the blazing from the blazing sun. So another benefit of journeying, even through dark valleys, is that it's in those times that we can find refreshment from God's Spirit. In those valleys, we can be shaded from the wilting sun by finding shelter under God's wings. Right there in the midst of our difficulties and trials, as we face our fears, we discover the presence of our shepherd. But the valleys also provide something else, something that gives rise to our fears. Why do we fear these dark valleys? Well, they're dark valleys, first of all. They're not just any valley. It's a dark valley. It's the valley of the shadow of death. So a third thing that valleys can possibly provide is danger. There's danger in these valleys. Yes, our good shepherd provides for us and guides us in the valley, just as he did in the pastures, just as he did beside the quiet waters, But in the valley, we need more than just His provision. We need His protection. Predators may lie in wait in the shadows. Robbers, thieves, and enemies may be crouching on those high cliffs ready to pounce. There's the possibility of those sudden storms being mentioned, which can lead to flash floods or mud or rock slides. And then you could tumble and fall into a ravine or down a slope. Thankfully, Our good shepherd knows what to expect. Which leads us to the second encouraging truth today. Not only are dark valleys a part of our journey, but we don't have to fear the valley when we're with the shepherd. Amen? We don't have to fear the valley when we're with the shepherd. You know, shepherds never sent their sheep through those valleys alone. They always went with them, leading them, eating with them, sleeping with them. And the shepherd never took his flock through a valley that he had not been through before. It was always charted territory for the shepherd. So whatever dark valley you may be facing, know that your good shepherd is with you in it and he's been through it ahead of you. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's been down this road. And he leads us through the dark valleys himself. So in every situation, in every moment, in the face of every trial and every disappointment and every dilemma, he is there. And He knows the pitfalls to avoid. He knows the predators to guard you against. And He knows where you can find rest and refreshment, even in the valley. Once more, may we have the faith to echo what Keller writes. He says, Let come what may. Storms may break about me. Predators may attack. The river reverses may threat to inundate me. But because He he is in the situation with me, I shall not fear. Now, I have to point out, if you look at verse 4, maybe you've noticed this already. In verses 1 through 3, let's do a little English here. In in verses 1 through 3, what pronoun is he using? What's the person that he's writing in here? It's third person, right? He's writing he. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. But when you get to verse 4, he's writing in the second. You. 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 It's not He anymore. It's you. You see, when we're in the pastures, when we're by the still waters, we can talk about God and all the good things God has done for us, but when we're in the valley, we want to talk with God. We want to be addressing Him ourselves. Now, that may seem like a small detail, but it has a huge impact in the way we face these valleys. It sort of reminds me of Job's experience. Remember Job and all that he suffered. And after uh, the Lord came and confronted Job and all of his friends about how terribly wrong they had all of their theology about suffering in life, 
Job says this, My ears had heard of you. When I was blessed, when I was in those green pastures and those still waters, when I had all the, my family and all my land and all my house and my, 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 my flocks and herds, when I had my health, my ears had heard of you. But now that I've gone through this dark valley, what's he say? Now my eyes have seen you. It's been said God becomes a reality when he becomes a necessity. And it's in the dark valleys that God becomes more real to us than ever before. We don't just talk about God's presence and provision and peace and the power that He has to provide and protect. It's not just some abstract idea when we're in the valleys. We experience it firsthand. We discover that God's many promises throughout the Bible to be with us are true. And there really isn't any reason to fear when we're in the valley because He is with us. On Wednesdays, we've been looking at these and many other verses that, that tell us, do not fear for I am with you. Just a few of them. Joshua 1, nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Even through the dark valleys. Or in Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right. We don't have to be afraid or be dismayed no matter what we're facing because our God is with us, helping us, strengthening us, upholding us. Or our Old Testament reading this morning in Isaiah 43, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm your shepherd, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Through the deep waters, the fiery trials, the dark valleys, even until the end of the age, Jesus promises to be with us. What is one of the names of Jesus? Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. There's so much packed into this one little verse, isn't there? For example, he tells us that we walk through the valley, not in the valley. You know what that tells me? No valley goes on forever, does it? Every valley ends. This too shall pass. 2020 will pass. The election cycle will pass. The coronavirus will pass. We will Get through this. And in the next two verses, David gives us some specific ways that God will help us through the dark valleys. These are the last two main truths I want us to look at this morning. How does God get us through these dark valleys? Well, first of all, with His rod to defend us and to discipline us. The shepherd's rod defends and disciplines us. Now, a shepherd's rod was usually an oak club It was a couple of feet in length, and it was basically an extension of the shepherd's arm. It symbolized his power, his authority, his strength, and he would use it to to safeguard the sheep from both external dangers, such as predators and thieves, but also the internal dangers of the sheep's own foolish waywardness. He would defend against dangers internal and external. And that means that our shepherd's rod both defends... And disciplines us. It corrects and protects us. 
Now, what might we say is the thing that God most uses to protect and to correct our hearts and our minds? It's the Word of God. The Word of God is His rod of protection and correction. And just like the shepherd's rod, the Bible is an extension of our shepherd's mind and will and heart. It makes available to us His strength and His power and His authority. He uses it to discipline us and to correct us when we're straying from His authority. And both Paul and the writer of Hebrews refer to it as a sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It both defends us from satanic attack, but it also pierces through our own souls and lays us bare before God. Which brings us to another use of the shepherd's rod. It was used to count and examine the sheep. Not only would he hurl it at a lion or use it to beat off a thief, not only would he use it to maybe throw in front of a sheep that was kind of, you know, sort of like shooting across the bow, he'd throw it out there in front of that sheep that was trying to run off and would startle it and make it stop and probably roll over on its back, (laughs) and he'd have to go and set it back up. But he would also use it to examine the sheep, to examine into its wool, to count the sheep as they walked by. We see an example of this in Leviticus, where God is talking about tithing from your flock, and he says, every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So here you see that example of the shepherd counting the sheep, every sheep that passes under his rod, which means that those sheep belong to him. He's only counting his sheep. But then in Ezekiel 20, 37, God applies this in this example of him being the shepherd and Israel being a sheep. God says, I will take note of you as you pass under my rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Here the Lord is talking about bringing all of Israel back together for judgment but for the purpose of restoring them to that covenant relationship with himself. So to pass under his rod meant that you were part of his flock. You were being examined by your shepherd to see if you were sick or well. Were you bringing any parasites or or ticks or diseases into the flock? Does your wool need to be sheared or not? So when we pass under our shepherd's rod, under his word, it means that we belong to him. It means that we are submitting to His voice, His Word. It means that we're going to allow His Word to examine us. You know, James describes the Bible as a mirror. And what you do when you look in the mirror, you examine yourself. So as we pass under our shepherd's rod, we're asking God what David wrote in Psalm 139. We're saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me down those right paths for your name's sake. Now, we find comfort in this. We find comfort in God's rod that defends us from those who would harm us. Driving away pet predators, scaring away the snakes, or like David, you know, beating up on those lions and those tigers and bears, oh my. So we, we love that. God comforts us with that. We, we like the picture as the song we sung this morning as God is our sword and our shield. We like that. But God is our rod of discipline? Uh, we don't have many warm fuzzies about that picture, do we? We don't like discipline. Anybody here like discipline? Did you like being disciplined as a kid? Any kids in here like it when your parents discipline you? I don't see any hands. 
No. But do we need it? Yes. And the loving parent is the parent who disciplines their child, right? And the loving shepherd is a shepherd who examines and disciplines his sheep. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son, endure hardship as discipline. In other words, go through that dark valley as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. See, God often protects us from danger by getting our attention, by giving us a swift kick and motivating us to change our ways, to repent and to return to his right paths. Maybe this morning that describes you. You've been under the discipline of God and you need to repent. Confess your sins and change your course. And it's kind of strange to think of that as a source of comfort. That's what David says here, that that idea brings comfort to him. But it is a great comfort to know that God's never going to leave you just wandering off alone. He is going to bring you back from the sinful errors of your ways. He's going to go after you when you're straying. He's going to rescue you when you're cast down. He's going to bring you from the brink of disaster because of his great love for you. The 16th century martyr John Hooper referred to God's rod and staff as the two things most necessary for me, good Lord. And then he described them as the one to call me from my fault and error and the other to keep me in truth and verity. So as the rod defends us from danger and disciplines us from our own sinful nature, then the shepherd's staff directs us and comforts us. See, shepherds also carried a crook a long staff with a hook on the end. And they would use this to pry the sheep out of thickets, to push branches out of the way, to rescue a fallen sheep out of a hole, or to guide them along a dangerous ledge. But it also identified the shepherd and reminded the sheep of his presence. Imagine being a sheep scattered out in that flock. Maybe it's kind of a gently rolling pasture that you're in and you look up and you wonder where your shepherd is and you can see the top of that crook sticking up over the rise. And that brought comfort to you. It reminded you that your shepherd was nearby. So if the Word of God is symbolized by the rod, then I would argue the Spirit of God is the staff of His presence to guide us and to comfort us. Like the staff, The Spirit draws us together as one flock, doesn't He? And He gently nudges us and guides us down the paths that we should take. I love Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. When we're tempted to stray, when we get distracted by something shiny over here, the Holy Spirit is the one who says, no, 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 this is the way. Walk in it. That's what the Spirit of God does for us when we are tempted to wander off those paths of righteousness. Jesus called him the paraclete, the the counselor, the advocate, the one who comes alongside of us. He's the comforter who draws us into a warm, intimate relationship with God and with God's people. He guides us, Jesus said, into all truth. In the valleys of life, our shepherd doesn't just walk ahead of us leading us and guiding us, He walks beside us. He's the Spirit who walks beside us, comforting us and guiding us by His presence. The presence of God eclipses any fear we face 
in the valley. And like a shepherd's staff, the Spirit of God brings us back when we stray, keeps us on the straight and narrow, rescues us when we get ourselves stuck in the thickets of sin or cast down in the sinkholes of worldliness. Again, God never promises us that we won't go through the storms in life or walk through the dark valleys. Again, God has told us to expect these things. He has prepared us for moments of loss. And He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He will always walk with us through the dark valleys. He will always be in the boat with us through the storms. So when David says here, I will fear no evil, he's not saying that evil won't come. He's not denying the existence of evil. He's saying, I'm not going to dread whatever evil may throw my way. Even that last greatest enemy we face of death, David says, I will not fear. Charles Spurgeon preached on this psalm and he described the Christian's walk through the valley as the steady advance of a soul which knows its road, knows its end, and resolves to follow the path, feeling quite safe and is therefore perfectly calm and composed. I want to ask you, do you know the road through the valley that you're in? Do you know the end of that road? Do you know where you're going? If God is your shepherd, then you can answer that with an emphatic yes. Jesus, our good shepherd, He has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the good shepherd who laid down His life for His sheep. But you know what? Jesus walked through the valley because He laid down His life. And what did He do? He picked it back up again on Easter Sunday morning. And He did that so that even we could walk through the valley of the shadow of death and come out on the end victorious. Death does not get the last word. Our good shepherd will see us. If He can see us through the valley of the shadow of death, don't you think He can see us through anything that we face in life? Any dark valley we face. But we have to trust Him. This morning, do you know Jesus as your good shepherd? You know, I say that every week. What does that mean? It means that you understand what sin is and that you're lost in your sin, separated from God because you do what's wrong. You make your own path. You stray off the course. You think, I can find better grass than what my God can give me. I can find better water than what He has provided me. I'm going my own way. And you realize, you know what, this is a dead-end path. I've made a wrong turn. And you turn around. That's called repentance. And you say, I'm turning my back on doing things my way. I'm turning my back on sin and what the world says. I want to do what God says. But I need Jesus to forgive me. Because He died on the cross for my sins. That I may be washed clean and pure and made right with God. So Jesus, forgive me of my sins and save me. I want you to live in me. I want you to be my shepherd. I want to follow your leading. Your rod, your staff, your word, your spirit, I submit to that. That's what it means to make Jesus your shepherd. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Maybe you didn't use those words, but you know in your heart, have you done that? If you have any doubt, any concern about that today, I invite you to come this morning and let me help you pray and know that you have given your life to Jesus Christ and that you are part of His flock. And if you are, if He is your shepherd than whatever valley you're facing today. And I know many of us are facing some very dark, deep valleys that are scary. And we don't know 
how we're going to make it through on our own. But that's the good news. We don't have to make it through on our own. Amen? Our shepherd is there to walk with us, to guide us, to strengthen us. Trust in him. This altar is open if you want to come and pray. You can pray right where you are. But if you need to make a decision this morning, you're not with this church family, whatever God has laid on your heart, I'll be standing down front to receive you. If you're online with us, I hope that you'll reach out to us and ask us any questions you may have or let us know about any decision that you've made. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, you don't mince words. You don't beat around the bush. You don't sugarcoat things. Your word is so true and so honest. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you show us the world and life as it is. The good and the bad. The ups and the downs. The, even the dark valleys. But we're so thankful, Lord, that life isn't just dark valleys. You do give us still waters. You do give us green grass. And you are always there to lead us and to comfort us. And I just pray this morning, if there's anybody here today that's been struggling with a dark valley, that they would, they would come and they would pray and they would cast their hope upon you. And I pray you would encourage them. I pray, God, that you would protect them and guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Give them that peace that passes understanding because they know that you are present with them. And, Father, we do pray that you would help us through the dark valleys to the other side and that on that other side we would be closer to you, we would be stronger in our faith, and we would be able to take the comfort that you've given us and use it to comfort others who are behind us in that same valley to let them know that they, too, can make it through. Father, thank you for your love. And I pray if there's anybody here today, anybody on the radio or online that needs to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus, that they would do it right now. We ask it all in his precious name.